I invite everybody to put your hands together like this, like you're praying. All right. So here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open the doors. Where are the people? All right, let's let's try this again. This time, like maybe let's let's put our fingers like this. Yeah. All right. Here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open the doors. There are the people. All right. You all seem like you've done that before. Uh, Junius Dotson, who was the head of the United Methodist Discipleship Ministries, he spoke at annual conference last week. And I need to clarify, he spoke at the annual conference I went to, which was all the way in West Virginia, not the one that uh, Charlotte went to, which was here in Missouri. But Junius Dotson shared that we are undergoing a paradigm shift in the way that we see all the people. The old model, the model that gave rise to that little uh, nursery rhyme, is you come to church, you sit in church, you leave church. That's what good people do. The new model is going to people, engaging with people, and connecting with people. It's like that song, the church is not a building, the church is not a steeple, the church is not a resting place, the church is a people. And I love you all so much, we're not singing it today, but it will still be stuck in your head. You're welcome. Our task as the church is to be that people, to see all of God's people, and to invite others to be God's people. As we practiced earlier, coming to the church is really going to people to introduce ourselves. Sitting in church is useless if we're not also engaging with people. And it is our duty and our privilege to connect with people who show up in this building, to introduce and reintroduce ourselves, to listen and to connect, to ask how the other person is doing, and then really take the time to listen and respond, to introduce people to other people in the congregation, and to make plans to see each other at times other than just Sunday mornings, to invite people into mission and service and justice. But being in this church building is not the only time that we are called to go to people and engage with people and connect with people. There are people who are outside of these walls, people who would never come into this building on their own, and we are called to go engage and connect with them too. It's the difference between hospitality for those who happen to show up here and inviting people to be our guest, to know that they can be you, be loved, and belong. And we see Jesus doing this in Luke chapter 7, which Ellen read for us earlier. As Jesus approached the entrance of the town, a man who had died was being carried out of the town. He was the mother's, his mother's only son, and she was a widow. And with her was a large crowd from the town. And when Jesus saw this woman who had lost both her husband and her son, Jesus had compassion for her 
And in his compassion, he was moved to speak to her. Jesus saw her. Jesus saw the person who was suffering. Jesus saw all the people who were gathered in this place. And Jesus, in particular, saw those individuals who most needed his love and care. They didn't just get lost in the crowd. And then Jesus spoke directly to her. Now, Jesus was a great teacher. That's some of how we know him today. But as the adage goes, people won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Christians get evangelism backwards when we try to convince people of certain beliefs. But we do evangelism God's way when we enter into relationship with people and speak good news. And that good news is what we have seen and witnessed and experienced. So we see all the people, and we see what God is doing in the world, and we talk about it. We connect the two. We see the people, we see God, and we make those connections. This is how the message in the Common English Bible put what happens next. The dead son sat up and began talking. Jesus presented him to his mother, and the people all realized that they were in a place of holy mystery, that God was at work among them. They were quietly worshipful, and then noisily grateful, calling out among themselves, God is back! God is looking to the needs of God's people! The news of Jesus thus spread throughout all the country. And when John heard the news of all these events taking place, John sent two people to ask Jesus this question. Are you the one we've been expecting, or are we still waiting? And Jesus gave this answer. Go, tell John what you have seen and heard. Those who were blind are able to see. Those who were crippled now walk. People with skin diseases are cleansed. Those who were deaf now hear. Those who were dead are raised up. And good news is preached to the poor. The wretched of the earth have God's salvation, hospitality extended to them. Is this what you were expecting? Then count yourself fortunate. Happy is anyone who doesn't stumble along the way because of me. Blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Jesus connects what is happening in the real world to the good news promised earlier in the scriptures, the good news that he's heard, read in synagogues, and read himself. And he, as always, announces that the good news of God's kingdom is right here among us, within us, through us, transforming us and the world. So can we see what God is doing? And can we see all the people who need to be reassured that God is indeed here and that God is at work? This can be hard to answer when the news is overwhelming. Because there are fathers this Father's Day whose children have been taken from them, whose children are crying, Papa, Mama, Padre, Madre, and there is no one 
to answer. There are other people who are suicidal or depressed, and we can't always tell who those people are by looking at the outside, at the smiles painted on. And still Christ's invitation is there. Can we see all the people? Can we see the people who are hurting? Can we see everyone, not just the people who look like us or talk like us or make the same decisions that we do? The reason that we're in this immigration nightmare is because lawmakers since 1790 have refused to see non-white people as people. 1790 is when the first Naturalization Act was passed, designating who could be a citizen and who could not. The 19th century saw the Chinese Exclusion Act, the first time that we as a country created a category of people designated illegal. And by the time the 1965 Immigration Act was passed, lawmakers refused to see the people who were already in the country, people who came seasonally to do needed work. One Washington Post article put it like this. Although little had changed in practical terms in the years after 1965, the same migrants were leaving the same communities to go to the same employers in the same U.S. states in about the same numbers. Now the migrants were illegal and hence by definition lawbreakers and criminals. Essentially, formerly legal seasonal migration became illegal overnight. And as the U.S. Patro increased patrolling our southern border, the risk for seasonal workers increased exponentially. And thus, the greater enforcement paradoxically encouraged people to settle in the U.S. permanently, rather than going back and forth from communities in Latin America. In 1965, we failed to see all the people. And we failed to go to people and engage with people and connect with people. Meanwhile, good Christians kept coming to church, sitting in church, and leaving the church building. Come, sit, leave compared to go, engage, connect. And we wonder why mainline Protestant Christianity faltered. Why people don't just automatically come to us. Why church doesn't seem to be a priority anymore. And maybe it's because people stopped being a priority for the church. So I invite us to close our hands again. We're actually going to pray this time. For each finger, see if you can think of someone in your life who needs to know grace or love or justice or peace. This could be a group of people or an individual. Are there people you know who are stuck an addiction, or stuck in the guinea pig wheel of self-improvement, or stuck in emotional or physical pain? Who needs to know 
that they can be you, be loved, and belong. Let's take a minute and see if we can have ten people that we see through our prayer. thinking of these people, let us ask God how, now that we've seen them, can we reach out? How can we embrace the awkward and be vulnerable? Maybe saying, I'm not sure if this is the case, but you've been on my heart and I wanted to make sure you're doing all right. now with our hands still folded, let's point upward to make the steeple. And we'll prayerfully reflect on how is God already at work in the world? Can we see God just as clearly as we see all the people? Let's reflect on how we see God at work. I'd like to close by sharing one way that I've seen God. Working through people who see all the people. My friend Emily has a six-year-old daughter. And last night, her daughter made her email their pastor to see if she could talk with him before the service started today. She wanted to make sure that he would tell people today that separating parents from children is wrong. And that if he wasn't planning to, then she would like to say it to the congregation herself. Emily is also, for the first time, trying to figure out how to set up a meeting with their congressional representative. She's never done this before, and she isn't setting this meeting up for herself. Her six-year-old daughter asked if they could go. And this is what happens when you see all the people. Our challenge and our hope this week is that God is at work in the world. People are ready to hear good news. So let's open our eyes and see all the people. See God at work. 
and then tell anyone who doesn't yet see God or see people what we have seen and heard. Go and tell. Amen.